0: Well, good morning. I know you've heard me say this before, but we have an amazing passage of Scripture this morning. Just incredible. So I want to get right to it. So if you'll open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. We'll be there this morning through verse 34. And this is a, a basically a sermon, a teaching Jesus is giving that really starts at the beginning of chapter 12. And we're picking up midstream. So just for context, we're going to pick up in verse 22, and Jesus is speaking. And this is what it says. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life's span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasures, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this gathering. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you. And Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you. Lord, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the questions I get asked from time to time is people say, hey, Michael, what's the most challenging thing about preaching? Like, what's the the hardest thing about preaching? And my answer is almost always the same. The hardest thing about preaching is is living out what you preach. That's the challenge. The words are not that difficult. It's, it's the whole obedience thing that can be challenging. And I bring that up to you this morning because we're going to deal with a topic this morning. Jesus is going to speak to a topic this morning that I'm as guilty as anybody. Jesus is going to talk to us about worry and, and really to not worry. And I would imagine that just about all of us in here have struggled with worry or anxiety at some point in their life. The great Warren Wearsby once wrote that most Christians are being crucified on a cross between two thieves. Yesterday's regret and tomorrow's worries. Most Christians live in this tension. A self-inflicted crucifixion where they are living with yesterday's regrets and tomorrow's worries. But Jesus tells us this morning that that's not the way it needs to be, and that's not the way that he has commanded us to live. And so as you think about the scripture that we just read, I want you to think back for a second to what came right before it. And if you'll recall right before it, Jesus is giving this teaching And a guy essentially comes to him and says, Hey, Jesus, I want you to tell my brother to give me my money. Like, I want my money. And Jesus takes that opportunity to to preach and teach on the folly of greed and the folly of, of using this limited time we have on this earth to pursue nothing but material possessions. And now in verse 22, Jesus pivots. And he kind of looks at the other side of the coin, okay? So if the head side of the coin is greed, where you're always wanting more, then the tails side of the coin is worry, where you're always afraid about having less. So greed is that insatiable desire for more, and worry is that paralyzing fear of suffering loss. And the reality is that both result from a lack of trust and really a lack of perspective, right? A lack of trust in that we do not trust in the provision of God and a lack of perspective in the way that we look at the life that God has given us to live. And so as we walk through this passage this morning, what you're going to see is Jesus really speaks to two different things. The first thing he's going to talk about are the realities of worry. He's going to look at the realities of worry, just kind of the facts of worry. And then he's going to talk about what is to be our response to worry. So the realities of worry and then our response to worry. And the first of these facts that Jesus brings out about the realities of worry is that at the end of the day, worry is irrational. It's irrational. What do I mean by irrational? What I'm saying is that worry fails to take into account the character of God and the work of God. Worry fails to take into account the character of God and the work of God. We worry because we we fail to affirm one of the core truths about God, which is that He is powerful, He's all-powerful, and that He is good. When When we fail to affirm God's power... Or we fail to affirm God's goodness, we tend to worry. When we doubt his power and we doubt his goodness, we doubt his provision. And we worry. And Jesus' response is, instead of worrying, why don't you just open your eyes and look around? Just look around. And Jesus uses some illustrations by just what they can see right there. He uses nature. Starting in verse 24, he says, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than the birds? Now, Jesus is saying this long before Edgar Allan Poe or the Baltimore ravens. Ravens were not cool, okay? In antiquity, ravens were the lowest of the low of the birds, They were not held in high esteem. And Jesus' point is hey, time out, guys. You know the ravens, the one that nobody thinks highly of? God provides for them. They don't even have a savings account, they don't even have a storage barn. And God provides for them day after day after day. And you are much more valuable than the ravens. And then he goes in verse 27 and he uses another natural illustration, right? He talks about these lilies says, consider the lilies, how they grow. I'm sure the apostles were always considering the lilies, right? And Jesus says, they neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? Jesus says, guys, have you seen the lilies? Have you seen the grass? Have you seen the flowers? Have you noticed how beautiful they are? Have you noticed how, how amazing the colors fit together? Have you noticed that? And you're much more valuable than the flowers. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I will go on my Facebook feed especially when spring comes around. And what I see is a number of families at Wayside taking pictures as a family where? In the wildflowers, like four feet from (laughs) I-35. But they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And yet, despite their beauty, what else is true about grass and lilies and flowers? They die. They come and they go. It they're thrown into the furnace. And this is probably the, the first reference to a San Antonio summer in the scriptures right here. <laughs> the furnace. Grass goes to die. They die. I, I mean, I love buying flowers. I love buying flowers for my wife. And yet, I, I just have to be honest, whenever I'm in that checkout line, there's always for at least a split second in my mind, I look at those flowers and I go, I know exactly where those are going to be in a week. They're going to be in the trash can. Because they're stinking up the house and they look ugly. And Jesus is saying, if God spends so much time creating something so beautiful that just is here today and gone tomorrow, how do you think he feels about you? His prized possession, the one made in his image. See, worry comes when we doubt the goodness or the power of God. And Jesus says, look around. And if you can't see it in nature, then we have the ability to look to the cross, don't we? That reminds us how much this God wants to provide for us, that he provided himself on the cross. As Jesus took on flesh and paid the penalty for our sin. It's irrational to worry. Not only is it irrational, it's pointless. Right? It has no benefit. Zero. Look at verse twenty five. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you can do even a ve- if you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Jesus says. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. And yet, let's be honest, how often and how much time do we spend worrying? Worrying about, first of all, things that we can't even control. Like we don't even have we we can't even move the chess pieces. We have no control. But then, even worrying about the things that we can't control, which can be just as paralyzing, because we're afraid that we're going to mess it up. Parents have a graduate degree in worrying, don't we? But it's not helpful. It's not helpful. Corey Ten Boom writes that worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow; it empties today of its strength. It does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. You see, worry robs us of our joy. It sucks out our courage. And it has no benefit. So worry is is irrational. It's pointless. And then a, a third one that I think is worth adding is that worry, and I'm not trying to step on any toes, but worry is oftentimes ridiculous. Ridiculous. Sometimes what we end up worrying about are nothing more than first world inconveniences. If you don't believe me, come with us on one of our mission trips. Go. Come serve at the Potter's House in Guatemala City, where they minister to thousands of people who live outside one of the largest garbage dumps in Central America. Come minister with them there and share how you're worried about whether or not your, your backsplash is going to match your kitchen paint color. See, see if they're impressed with that. Go to Rwanda with us. Sit across a person who lost both their parents in the genocide and had to raise their siblings and share with them about how worried you are about whether or not you're going to be able to, you know, just look good for spring break. Be able to get in your swimsuit. Go to Arizona, where we work with the Navajo children on the reservation there, many suffering from incredible poverty and heartache, and share with them about how worried you are that, you know, my second car just hit 100,000 miles. Go to Peru, where we work with the Yanesha people in the jungle. Some of them who may, and, and, who may have to walk hours for clean water and see how they respond when you share that you're worried that my, the pool in my backyard's making a weird noise. Go to China with us. Spend time in China where, and, you, and you may meet folks who have been rejected by their families because of their faith. Have to keep it hidden from the government because of something that might happen. And share with him about how you just get so worried that if you shared your faith at work, someone might make fun of you. And look, I'm not, I'm not, like I said, I'm not talking down on you. I I struggle with this stuff. Literally, the the day I wrote this, I want you a true story, picture into my life. The day I wrote this, I was like, man, that's pretty good. I was like, that's going to convict some people at church who need convicting, you know. So I get done riding it and I go home feeling pretty good about myself and I call Victoria and I'm like, hey, do you want me to go by the store and pick up a couple things before I get home, you know, being a good husband or whatever? And she says, oh, no, it's okay. By the way, I got into a little bit of an accident earlier today. So I forego Target, you know, and I go straight home and the front of our car is, is beat up. I just wrote this, guys, okay? The front of our car, literally over our car that's over 100,000 miles and I got out and I go, what happened? <laughs> what are we going to do? I have USAA. It's not even that big of a deal. And I would just written that. But then this worry crept in about what's going to happen. It's okay. It's not worth it. It's irrational. It has no positive benefit. It's at times completely ridiculous. And yet worry is prevalent, right? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And it's in all of us. We as Christians are not immune to it. And that's one of the reasons why God repeatedly, repeatedly in the scriptures is reminding us of his love for us, his provision for us, the need for us to trust him, that he's there for us. Psalm 55, just to name a few, verse 22, cast your cares upon the Lord and he will sustain you. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you. I will help you. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5.7, cast your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you god has got that on repeat because he knows we need to hear it because he knows we wrestle with worry christians wrestle with worry and at the end of the day the the difference between a believer and a non-believer see when you worry you all have to turn somewhere you realize that right no matter who you are whether you believe in God or not, when you experience worry, you're going to turn somewhere. You're going to turn to yourself. You're going to turn to material possessions. Or you're going to turn to God. And the difference between the believer and the non-believer is not the ability to, to escape worry or to avoid worry, but rather where we turn to when worry comes. It's not the reality of worry that's different. It's our response to worry. As I was writing this sermon and praying through it this week, I thought back to the summer after my sophomore year in high school, in college, excuse me. In college, I spent my summers working at a Christian sports camp in Missouri called Camp Kanakuk. And one summer, uh, Kanakuk sent me to Washington, D.C. to represent the camp at this big Christian conference. And I went there and I had an extra day to kind of see the town. So I was like, I'm gonna I'm not gonna waste this. I'm gonna get out in DC and I'm gonna see some of the museums. And so that was my attack. And I go out, and along the way, somehow I walk into the National Gallery of Art. Like that's not my deal. I have nothing against art. I'm just not an art aficionado. I remember watching baseball games on TV as a kid, and a pitcher would be pitching, and the announcer would say, Man, he is this guy's painting a Picasso. And I'd be like, I need to meet this Picasso. Probably a pretty good ball player. I mean, no clue. So I realize I'm in the Museum of Art. I'm like, what am I doing here? I, I'm about to turn around. And I go, no, Loudermuck, like, you need to stay. Get a little bit of culture. Say you did it. And so I enter in. And I ended up spending the entire day there. Just overcome with emotion. You see, I was at a unique point of time in my life. I was I was leaving playing college baseball and I was transferring and I was going to be stopping baseball, my baseball career, which which had been such a big part of my identity. I'd just gotten out of a serious relationship with a gal who I thought I might marry and and I I wasn't sure what's going on. I had a number of family issues and people saying you shouldn't do this and my brother was getting shipped off to Iraq for the war and all this was just swirling around me and for one of the first times in my life, I just legitimately felt afraid and worried like I was messing this thing up, like I was throwing my life away and as I'm walking around the museum, I came across this painting, and it's a painting by a man named Thomas Cole titled Voyage of Manhood, and it really stopped me in my tracks, and and this is a series of four paintings. It's called The Voyage of Life. It's got youth, childhood, um, adulthood, or manhood, and then old age. And I remember coming to it and just stopping and staring at it and and just taking it all in and, and feeling like, that guy in the boat, that is me right now. Like, I am identifying with that guy. And as I stared at it, I just became so emotional because there was a number of things that I recognized that really spoke to me. As I looked at it, I was reminded that even in the storms of life that God sees me. That God sees me. That even when when darkness surrounds, God's light shines through. And that even when God feels so far away, I am always in the grip of His grace. He will never leave me. And maybe my favorite thing about the painting is that though the man is about to hit the storm, where is he looking, right? He's not oblivious to the danger, he's not oblivious to the worry. It's that he knows there's one place he can turn in the midst of it, and that's to his creator. You see, it's not the reality of worry that sets us apart, or that is two sets apart. It's our response to worry. And this is where Jesus now tells us about how we are to respond to worry. Look at verse 29. It says, And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek but your father knows that you need these things but seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you do not be afraid little little flock for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom so jesus tells us that our response to worry is to go back to square one Our response to worry is to remember who we are and our mission in the first place and remember God's call on our life is to seek his kingdom. But then the question comes, well, what does it mean to seek the kingdom? What does that even mean? And and the way I see it, and I think I preached about this a few months ago, when when you think about a kingdom or the kingdom of God, really three things come to mind. A kingdom involves a king who is the ruler, a kingdom involves a kingdom, a sphere of rule, and a kingdom involves subjects. Those who are part of that kingdom, subject to the king. And so, and so what do we do? What, how do we live out? How do we seek the kingdom while here on this earth? And what I would suggest to you that seeking the kingdom on earth begins by coming under the authority of the king. It's by recognizing who the proper authority is, and that's our Creator, our God. So we come under His authority. And as we come under the authority of the King, we begin to take on the values of the King. What does is, what is the King value? What does He say is important? And that's when we learn to see love and mercy and forgiveness and justice and integrity and, and the various fruit of the Spirit, that those are the kingdom values. That's what, the king, that's what matters to the king, and that's what's going to matter to me as his subject. And then thirdly, and don't miss this because this is imperative, we seek the kingdom by keeping our eyes and our hope on the future return of the king when the kingdom will arrive in all its fullness. And this is essential. If you want to seek the kingdom, you have to recognize, you have to recognize that this life is not all there is. And that does not dismiss or denigrate the importance or the beauty or the value of life on earth. It does not make this life meaningless. But what it is saying is that we're on this life with our vision looking up, And looking out, knowing that the best is yet to come. Knowing that our hope is not in material possessions here, but in a future reign with Christ himself. And so as kingdom citizens with those values, anticipating the return, that frees us to be incredibly generous with our life. Because we are untethered from the things that weigh us down here. Do you recognize that? The cords are cut. And that's what verse 33 and 34 speak to. Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, we are to be generous people. It's one of the calling cards of believers. It should be. And why are we to be generous? Because we're free from the things of the world. Don't you see? When, the, when those cords are cut, when we become untethered to the pressures and the demands and that, that, that the world says is what's valuable, and we recognize what God says is valuable, we're free to pursue that with all our might and be generous with all that he has given us. And we take the fact that we have been blessed and we are able to be a blessing and we freely give of our finances. But it goes beyond that. We freely give of our time. We freely give of our forgiveness. We freely, forgive of our, freely give of our joy. We freely give of our lives because our hope is not in this. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. And so why is seeking the kingdom the appropriate response to worry? I'll tell you. Because this life will come and go. That's why. And you may get a hundred years. I mean, if you get a hundred years, congratulations. But what is a hundred years in comparison to the eternal kingdom of God? It is a drop in the ocean. And yet far too many people place all their treasures on the here and now with no thought at all of eternity. Nada. Nada. And they're like people who build houses on train tracks. The land is cheap. You may get a good view. You may build your dream house. But the train's coming. The train of death will come for you. And it will destroy everything that you have built. Don't be that person. And so one, not only is seeking the kingdom the wise investment, but here's the beauty of our God. It's also what life is about. It's where life is found. You've heard me say time and time again that God's design is for his glory and for our good. His design is for our glory and for our good. And when we seek the kingdom, we seek life. Not just eternally, but right now. Right now. And and Jesus tells us that in verse 31. He says, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. What things? Food, drink, clothes? Sure. Sure. But I don't think it stops there. I think that when we seek the kingdom in our life, we actually get a taste of it while here on this earth. When you seek the kingdom with your life, you get a taste of it on this earth. And I saw this up close and personal a few weeks ago. And so I want to I close with this story. And uh, I'm going to do my best to make it through without crying. So just be warned. Many of you at the at the 410 campus here, you remember a few weeks ago maybe, I, I got up here and I, and I prayed for a young man named Blake Rogers. And... Um, Blake was heading to a Young Life camp called Frontier Ranch from College Station when the SUV he was traveling in with five, four other folks blew a tire and flipped. And uh, a young gal was killed right right there. And Blake passed a week later in a hospital in Waco. At 19 years of age, Blake went to be with the Lord. And my connection to Blake is that his father, Brett Rogers was the Young Life leader who mentored me and pursued me and really led me to the Lord. I was a sophomore in high school. I was lost as I'll get out. I cared about two things. I cared about sports and girls. Everything else was peripheral. And this guy pursued me. And he said, you need to go to summer camp. And I said, I'm not going to summer camp. I can't miss a week of workouts. And he said, you need to go to summer camp. I said, I'm not going to summer camp. I can't afford it. And so he painted with me. He painted with me. And he mowed lawns with me. And he got me scholarship. And so I went to Frontier Ranch the summer after my sophomore year in high school where I came to faith in Jesus Christ. But Brett was not able to be there because a couple of weeks before we left, it became clear that his son was going to be born during that week. And so while I was experiencing spiritual rebirth in Colorado, Brett was at home for the birth of his second son, a son that he named Blake. And so two weeks ago, they held Blake's funeral up at Hyde Park Baptist in in Austin. And there were like thousands of people there because Brett had been the Young Life leader at UT for the past 10 years. So thousands of people. Max Okado did the service. Brett and his wife, Teresa, and their son, Zach, spoke. And it was just a remarkable time of sorrow and joy. As much as I had ever experienced with a group of people before. And after the service, I was at the reception, and my buddy, Tim, he texts me, and he says, Michael, Dan Jessup is here. We need need to say hello. Dan Jessup was the guy who spoke at Frontier Ranch. 20 years ago, when I came to know the Lord, and I had not talked to him since. He doesn't know me. And so I go up to him, and I say, Dan, my name is Michael Loudermilk. 20 years ago, in the summer of 98, you preached the message on the prodigal son. You played a song called, When God Ran, and I went out underneath the Colorado skies, and I have never been the same, and I just want to say thank you. And his, his eyes kind of fill up with tears. And then my buddies come alongside me, many who were there that week, who came to faith that week. Many who responded to the gospel Dan preached and were there because of the work, because Brett Rogers had not taken no for an answer. And we took a picture with Dan uh, there at the, at the reception. And those, I mean, those are my best friends. And one of them's a pastor, and, and it was a pastor in Colorado. One's a physician who goes to Africa for much of the year to do medical outreach. The other guys are godly men, godly husbands in the medical field. All of us transformed that week at Frontier Ranch 20 years ago. And Dan then asked me, "Well, what do you do?" And I told him, why. "I pastor at a church in San Antonio." And he just starts crying. I'm crying. My buddies are crying. We're thanking him. He's thanking us. We're all thanking God. I mean, it was incredible. And let me just ask you something, and I'm dead serious. What's a moment like that worth? Like, what's a dollar value on that? I'll tell you, for me, it's invaluable because those guys sought the kingdom. I got to hear about the king. And though I was lost, I was found. And I guarantee you that both of them were constantly maligned for hanging out with a bunch of unregenerate high schoolers. I guarantee you. And I know that because my parents thought it was strange. But for them, it was seek the kingdom. I'm going to live under the king's authority with kingdom values, knowing that the future king, in the future, the king is coming, and that is where my hope is. And when you seek the kingdom, even the greatest of tragedies, like the loss of a son, reveal the treasures of a life of a, of, that pursues God. And so I close with this. This past weekend, we were with Brett and his son, Zach, out at Horseshoe Bay, my my childhood friends. And we were there, and we celebrated decades of friendship. We celebrated God's grace in our life. And we got to love on our mentor and his son, who had just lost someone so special to them. And as we gathered to pray... Before we left, I couldn't help but notice that I stood there surrounded by, that though Brett had lost his 19 year old son, he stood there surrounded by seven guys who consider him a spiritual father. He's like our dad. That's the kingdom. It's the kingdom. We we can't replace Blake, but we can come alongside Brett and his sorrow and his joy and remind him that a reunion is coming. A reunion is coming with Blake because of the victory of the king. And those who seek the kingdom get to live with kingdom joy and kingdom hope because of the victory the king has secured on their behalf. So, friends, do not worry. It's irrational. It does no good. It's oftentimes completely unnecessary. And, friends, we know the antidote. The antidote is to seek The kingdom, to live under the authority of the king, to fully embrace with all our fiber the values of the king, and to live with the great anticipation and expectation of the return of the king, when he will complete what he began, and when the hurt will be no more. So do not seek what you will eat. And what you will drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom. And these things will be added to you. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we exist by Your grace It's just the reality that the reason we exist is because you chose to create. There's no other rhyme or reason. It's because you freely chose to do that which you did not have to do in an overflow of your grace to share in your love that exists within God himself you created. And if that's not enough, God, even when your creation rebelled against you, You didn't give up on us. And you entered into time and space as the God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ, as the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And our Lord Jesus, you took on flesh and you lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live in our place for our benefit. And you willingly went to die on the cross for our sin, saying, it is paid in full. And you invite all who will turn to you They will receive the forgiveness of their sin, the fullness of life now, and eternal life to come. That is the God that you are. And yet we do worry. And God, we pray that you would increase our faith. You would increase our trust. And when the worry comes, we would turn to you and say, my God is in control. My God is in control cares for me. And even when storms surround, his light bursts through. Even when he feels far, I'm in the grip of his grace. For you love us. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the church where we gather as your people to worship you. And Lord, we just thank you for being our God. And it's in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.